In today's episode, we're going to be giving you some best practices for what to do if you get separated from your child, and we'll also share some of our own stories so you can learn from them. Hey everyone, welcome to the Pape Fatike podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. The other day, Jim and I ran across an article that provided a quick PSA on what to do when you get separated from your child. So today we're going to be discussing that article and some of the research we've done on the topic. We'll also share some of our own experiences and give you some things that we do to prevent getting separated from our children or at least reduce the amount of time it takes to find your child if you do get separated. But before we get into that, a little bit about ourselves. I'm Dave. I have two children. I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. I'm Jim. I've got two daughters, uh, five and seven. So the article that started this whole conversation came from Pop Sugar, and it was actually based on a TikTok PSA from Jess Martini. And she said in the TikTok, if you look around and your child is no longer with you, what you want to do is you want to start loudly looking for them. Do not start silently looking for them. You want to look loudly. You start shouting their description while you look. It's going to sound like, I'm looking for a boy, age five, short brown hair, brown eyes, Caucasian, red Nike t-shirt, black shorts. And you're going to keep repeating yourself while you look over and over again. And by doing that, you've got every single person who is around you looking for your child instead of just you. And that was an interesting PSA. And it sort of started us down this path of, well, you know, what are some of the other best practices if you do get separated from your child? And so we did a little bit of research and we found the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has some tips. The first one is to stay calm, right? So, you know, if you're talking to employees at a store or the police, obviously they need accurate information. They need you to be as calm as you can be. You know, if you're freaking out or if you give them the wrong information, that can delay the search. So really the first thing, stay calm. And that'll also help you think through the steps, right? The next thing to do is to do a quick perimeter search and immediately find an employee. So if you've taught your child to stay put if they're lost, right? hopefully you'll be able to quickly find them by just calling out their name. But you don't want to spend too much time looking for them. And I'll give you sort of an example later on based on my experience of where, this, where there's a little bit of a gap in this one. But generally speaking, that's the right thing to do. The next thing is to head to the front of the store, right? Because that's where most of the employees are. And something that was kind of interesting that the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children found is that oftentimes children try to leave the store and go out to the car. And that's not something that I ever would have thought about. Like, hey, my, I've lost my five-year-old and he's waiting for me in front of the car. Mm-hmm. Like, last mm-hmm. thing I would have thought to do. So that one I think is really important. And then when you get to the front of the store, you want to trigger a code atom. So a code atom, it's a seven-step safety protocol that was developed by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And actually way back in the day when I was in retail, I remember the, them telling us about this code atom. What effectively it does is when there's a code atom, the store manager will split the store up into, I don't know, zones or something. But they'll effectively assign employees to go look for your child and, you know, all right, you go to the bathroom, you go look in bedding, you look in sporting goods, and they'll they'll divvy up the store and have somebody go search in those areas. And on average, it usually takes about 10 minutes before a child is found using a code atom program. So relatively quickly, obviously, if you're the parent, that is forever. But, you know, 10 minutes is, is pretty good. And I think it shows the effectiveness of the program. 
And then the last tip that they have is if you're not in a store, you want to call law enforcement directly and you don't want to wait, right? Like if you call the cops, they would much rather hear from you a second time saying, you know what, I, I called you five minutes ago. I lost track of my son. I found him. They're, they're much happier to hear that than, you know, it's been 30 minutes. I, I still don't know where my kid is. Can you come out and, you know, help me? So you really want to call them first. And then once you've put that call in, you want to try and recruit help of the bystanders around you. So, you know, again, just like that TikToker said, right? Once you've called the cops, then say, hey, you know, I've lost my son. I've lost my daughter. Here's what they look like. Help me out. So with all of those tips, you know, in mind, Jim, I think it would be interesting if we would share our experiences and to talk a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the things that, that we've learned or things that we've done differently. Um, but for now, let's just start off with, have you had any experiences where you've been separated from your kids and, and you know, what happened? Yeah, it's interesting to think about this. I was talking to my kids earlier this week, thinking about this conversation that we were going to have. And I asked them when they had been lost or when they felt that they were lost and, and you know, what happened. And what was funny is both of them said, I don't want to talk about it. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the younger one, I could probably think of three times where she's been out of sight and, and there's been some kind of concern. The older one, only once. The younger one, the most important time, the one that was really a panic for me, which probably in hindsight was one of the safer moments, we were in an indoor play area in a, in a mall, and it's the kind of thing where you pay money and there's hamster tubes and you know bounce mm -hmm. houses and mm -hmm. things like that. And they had really good safety protocols in that the kids and the, and the parents or the caregiver, whoever it is, when they went in, they had uh, ID bracelets that matched on mm -hmm. a number. So nobody was going in and out. No kid was going in and out without, with, another, uh, with another parent. But still... It was a kind of a panic moment, and there was a, there was a, a basically the the older one was running around with her cousin, and the younger one and I were in this sort of dead end channel where there was some play stuff, and I needed to go talk to the other uh, daughter, and so I left, and you know just walked maybe fifteen feet out the front of the the sort of dead end space, and then I came back in and she was gone, and it was it, I had that moment of like oh my gosh you know my daughter was right here and now she's disappeared, and so it started the sort of frantic search, and it turns out she hadn't gone very far, but. It was, you know, I kind of ran around the place for a little while, and I started thinking, like, well, you know, I got maybe it was five minutes, seven minutes, however long it was. I got to the place where, like, how am I going to tell my my wife we only have two, we only have one daughter now? Like, <laughs> how am I going to do this? <laughs> uh -huh, and yeah. uh, and eventually, I found her, and she was um, she was very, very affectionate and very clingy. Uh, obviously, it had been somewhat traumatic for her, and and also for me. And that was probably. She was probably young enough at the time that she really didn't understand the, the safety protocols that, that we have in our family, uh, mm -hmm. but she learned them quickly thereafter. Yeah. The older one got separated probably just once that I can remember, and it was after dark, and it was a Halloween party, a neighborhood block party, and there was a scrum, all the kids going in to get the candy, and somehow she got separated, and uh, and my wife and I you know, somewhat panicked. And again, it was, it was in hindsight, it's probably a minute, maybe two minutes, three minutes, but it just felt like an eternity. And she did follow the safety protocols, which I'll, I'll talk about later. And mm -hmm. so we were able to find her. She hadn't gone very far, and she was obviously traumatic, uh, traumatized. And so in thinking about both those events, yes, there are, there are moments for me as a parent that are terrifying, but it's also really heartbreaking to see how terrified they are. And so having those uh, safety protocols and having that sort of uh, checklist that they need to do when they're in that moment gives me some, some assurances. One thing that... I, I'm hearing from your stories, and I think this will also be reflected in mine, and probably is the standard case, is that how quickly things go from being a normal situation, right, right. and it's just like snap of a finger, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, what happened? And, you know, this, it's, it's obviously not for lack of, you know, being attentive. It's just that's 
it's kind of that's kids and that's you know certainly in a halloween situation when you're mobbing a house and it's dark out and maybe kids are wearing you know the same costumes and things like that it's it's just it happens so quickly and if you have some level of preparation and the child sort of knows what they're supposed to do it certainly helps the outcome right yeah with the younger one there was a time <clears throat> excuse me where when you say that it happens so quickly where she was within my sight, I turned to talk to somebody else, and I turned around, and she wasn't there. And my, you know, I think about how long her legs are, how fast she moves. You know, she was <laughs> there's probably a perimeter with where she is, and it was in an aquarium, and so there was a lot of sort of uh, labyrinthine hallways and places to get lost. And and so you know, I went around the first corner, she wasn't there. The second corner, and that's when the panic hit. Like it did just happen that fast, and it is uh, that moment is really terrifying. Yeah, and it, and it happens quickly too, right? So it's the, the right. child is gone quickly and then instantly you're in pure panic mode. Exactly. And I, I think, again, it goes back to, you know, some of those tips earlier on about, okay, stay calm because if you're panicked, it's hard to think through, okay, what do I do next? You know, the panic right. then completely takes over you. So if you have at least internalized some of the steps that that make sense in terms of, you know, okay, what do I do now? That will help you sort of control the situation so it just doesn't get completely, you know, it just doesn't go down the tubes. Yeah, I mean, so from my standpoint, we had one sort of really concerning um, situation. So my wife had taken the kids out to, uh, you know, one of the tourist areas where we are, and I was at home working. And so my youngest was probably a year, year and a half. And so that makes the oldest one about you know, three or four years old, something like that. And um, so they're going up an escalator and my wife has the younger one and the, our oldest daughter goes running up the escalator. And when my wife gets to the top of the escalator, our daughter's gone. And, you know, it's pretty wide open. So it's not like you get to the top of the escalator right. and there's a bunch of hallways. You can't see anything. You can actually see right. a fair amount of distance. There it is. How long are the legs? How far is Like she shouldn't right. be more than 50 feet away, let's say. Right. I mean, it's the it's the length of the escalator ride, mm -hmm. right? If you think about that, it's one floor worth of escalator. And yeah, how quickly can a kid with this, the height of an escalator run upstairs? And so she's gone. And, um, you know, my wife, after, a, you know, she kind of looks in the general vicinity because, again, yeah, how far could she have gone? And she's obviously starting to get nervous and she calls me and I am about 25, 30 minutes away from them. So I say, okay, look, call the cops first thing, call the cops, get them involved. And then I call my parents and I say, look, this is a tourist area that they have their own sort of security force. This can't be the first time something like this has happened. Mm -hmm. They must have a process in place. So I ask them, you know, please call these guys. And I jump in the car and just haul down there. And, you know, in this 25, 30 minute ride i'm kind of going back and forth calling my mom calling my wife because at this point out of the three of us i have the least amount of information right mm -hmm. my wife is there and then my parents are at least talking to you know sort of the organization that runs the the tourist area and so they all kind of know a lot more than i do and uh on the way i'm thinking you know what's going on here because she knows that she is supposed to go into a store if she gets mm -hmm. lost and if i'm if i'm not mistaken i actually asked her before they left, I'm like, hey, if you get lost, what do you do? And, you know, she always knows what to do. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, like what happens? She, she knows she knows what the responsible thing is. She, she knows what she's supposed to be doing. What's, what's going on here? So I pull up 
25, 30 minutes later, and as I'm pulling into a parking space, my wife calls and she said, we found her. And so I get over there and I'm like, okay, what happened? So I get the full story. And so essentially what happened was somewhere on this escalator ride up, my daughter turns around to the wife and says, hey, I'm going to go look at the magician. But my wife doesn't hear this. Mm -hmm. And so the daughter takes off and looks at the magician. And the way that this place is laid out, it's actually you go up the escalator and then you go back down the escalator. So she really wasn't able to see the daughter. And she did think that she might be at the magician. But of course, you sort of don't want to leave the Mm -hmm. last place Mm -hmm. where conceptually your daughter knows where you are. So if there were two of us, obviously, it's a lot easier. But with one, she's like, "I, I just don't want to leave here in case she comes back. And so what happened was the cops met her where she was. And then, you know, she said, I, I think she might be down at the, you know, where the magician is. Can you go check? And so, you know, there's a bunch of kids there, right? So you got to figure out which is the, which is the missing kid. But eventually they found her and, um, you know, reunited. But I mean, it was utterly terrifying. And, you know, 25, 30 minutes is a very, a very long time. Yeah. And, you know, also because this is a completely open mm-hmm. area. There's no, you know, it's outdoors. So you're kind of like, what is happening here? Anything could have happened. And that certainly shaped some of the things that we did a little bit later on in terms of how we, you know, how we handle them in terms of thinking this through in advance, right? So kind of getting ahead of any potential issues. The other sort of two examples that I wanted to talk about are are different. So they didn't involve my children, but I think they do illustrate a few other points that I want to make. So one was um, I was at Legoland and I was in line with my, I don't know, he's three at the time. So we're in line for a ride and we're almost to the front. You know, we're pretty close to the, the kid who's operating the thing. And this girl comes up, you know, there's right, you're in the lane that's waiting to get on to the, the ride. And this girl comes up. She's going the opposite way, right? Which is the lane normally where people are leaving the ride. And she's crying. And so the, the woman behind me and I are kind of trying to figure out what's going on. This girl, she seemed fairly old, maybe nine or 10, maybe 11 years old. And she was crying. And what we, what, we, what we get through this conversation is she's lost. She's, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she um, has been separated from her family. And so... You know, we tell the, the ride operator because obviously they have processes in place and it's, it's just taking longer than you would expect in a place like Legoland mm-hmm. where they must deal with so many missing kids, right? Or lost kids. And so we're continuing to talk to this girl to try and calm her down because she's, you know, quite upset at the situation. And I would say maybe five minutes in, the woman says, do you know your phone number? Mm-hmm. And the girl says, yes. And what I find <laughs> really interesting about that, right, is first of all, this girl was fairly old, um, you know, so I I think she's a little bit more capable than maybe some of our three-year-olds and four-year-olds. But I think also tellingly was one of the things that we taught our daughter early on is address and phone mm-hmm, number. Mm-hmm, same. But as the parent who found the kid, it took us five minutes to remember mm-hmm. to ask this girl for her phone number. And honestly, if the woman behind me didn't ask, I'm not clear I would have ever put it together. Right. You know, and so I think that's just one of those points where you're trying to calm the daughter down. And and I think we were, I certainly wasn't thinking very clearly at that point, right? Because the obvious thing is, well, you know, do you know what your phone number is? We, like, we can solve this very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's ultimately how it ended up being solved is, you know, that she just called the, the parents and they, they met. 
Um, and that was faster than going through the process that Legoland had in place, at least in this particular instance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's one where, again, as, as the parent being on that side, just to be aware of, you know, all the different ways of connecting with people and helping to reunite this child. The other one was um, at the zoo. So I was on a, a field trip with the class and so there was a bunch of parents and we were all hanging out at the playground and the kids are all running around all over the place. And this mom comes out of nowhere and is like, I, you know, my son's missing. I can't find him. She's screaming it. And boy, you've never seen parents activate mm-hmm. as quickly <laughs> as when there is a parent in distress, right. right? And, you know, this is an example of somebody using sort of that TikTok method, like help, you know, I can't find my son. And so instantly the parents converge on this woman, you know, what's your son's name? What is he wearing? What does he look like? And then everybody just sort of, you know, they get the information and then everybody just splits out. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like anybody needed to know what to do. You know, everybody kind of, as parents, I think we all sort of know what to do and we all, you know, gather together to help. And and clearly what had happened was, you know, the the mother was pushing the toddler in the swing. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, just, it's just one of these instances where the kid ran off Um, and didn't run off, but just sort of wandered off yeah yeah. and actually here's a here's a point that i want to make about so i I mentioned earlier you know sometimes if you do get separated you you know call the child's name if they've been taught to stay where they are when they're lost and i want to circle back to this because in this instance and in the instance with my daughter the interesting thing is neither one of these kids really knew they were lost right yeah right my daughter as far as she was concerned had told my wife where she was going to be and certainly had no concept of like, well, it's been 20 minutes. Where is everybody, right? She was watching and the so, magician. Exactly, right? That took up all of her time. And so same thing with this child, right? He didn't know he was lost. And he, as far as he was concerned, he wasn't lost, right? He was in the playground. So, you know, that's one where I think also kind of thinking about how the child thinks like, well, mom knows I'm here. Like, I might not be able to see her, but she knows I'm on the slide. But, you know, as far as we're concerned, if I can't see you, all of a sudden there's this moment of panic. And so to sort of think about that when when you're sort of separated from your child, when you're looking, that part of the reason they might not be doing what you expect them to do is because they don't realize mm-hmm. what's going on and they're thinking differently than you are. And And those were sort of... That was a big takeaway from the experience with my daughter. And, and again, I saw that in this instance uh, at the playground. So with those stories kind of as a backdrop to our experiences, Jim, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the safety protocols that that your family has put in place? We've been talking about the things that we do as parents. You've got a lot of good examples about that, a lot of good sort of procedures and protocols. And in thinking about this conversation, we start from the other side. And from a very early age, we we have this sort of five-step process where uh, if the kid is lost or if she feels like she's lost, stop. Don't go anywhere. Chances are mom's around the corner, dad's around the corner, we're going to come back. If they don't uh, if they don't see anybody, then yell mom, dad. If nobody answers, then yell our names. And if then nobody comes, then go find a mom with kids and ask for help. And that, that was always interesting because we used to say go find an employee or go find a clerk, you know, at Target, mm-hmm. find the person with the red vest. And mm-hmm. I like the idea of going to a mom with kids better. And I think then mm-hmm. that mom can do the things that she needs to do with the same way that she would with, with her own kids. So, um, and we've used it before, or rather they've used it before, and it's been very effective. And, you know, we also remind them frequently that you know, parents come back. I think that's a Daniel Tiger mm-hmm. thing, but, we, you know, parents mm-hmm. are going to come back. 
And I think that gives them some confidence to stay still and to know that we're going to come back and not, as you said, run out to the parking lot and go to the car mm-hmm. or, you know, look for mom and dad in the bathroom or whatever it is. So that's been, it's been helpful. And I think probably of all those pieces, it's the stop and stay still that I think is mm-hmm. important. Uh, I mean, even your daughter, in your experience, she was staying still. She was just outside right. the sort of realm of expectation. But if it mm-hmm. had been a store or something like that, I think, you know, parents would have done a sort of circling perimeter and would have found her eventually. Um, so anyhow, that's been important and it has been effective. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of stop thing, um, is I think also a way to stay calm, right? To just right. be like, Hey, <laughs> right. right you, we're going to come find you. You don't have to come find us cause we might be turning in circles. So you hang tight. I remember, um, when I was in France, when I was younger and I was visiting my parents, when we were on the Metro, they would say, if somehow you get on the Metro and we don't mm-hmm, because it's mm-hmm. rush hour, get off at the next station when you realize we're not there and we'll jump on the next train and we'll, we'll meet you where you are. Right. So yeah, I think that that just stand there, don't go anywhere. We'll come get you. Um, I think is important. It's interesting how you have approached also the, the mom thing. I'd heard about that. So we have taught generally, certainly in in new venues, like the, the big thing that we always do new museums, you know, it's always like, all right, these are the people that work here. And it's an interesting point that you bring up about finding a mom with kids. And, you know, certainly one of the things, too, about saying just the employee one is that not all stores have a ton of employees, right? right? Yeah. You know, um, and some stores are bigger than others. Or maybe, maybe it's the guy who works in the stock room. He doesn't know what to do with customers, yeah. you know? Well, and I mean, look, just imagine going into a Home Depot. Like, I can never find somebody to talk to when I want to buy something. Mm-hmm much less, you know, our child running around a Home Depot trying to find somebody in an orange vest, right? So I think that's a, I think that's a good example of where it also probably makes sense to have a couple different options. And certainly in like a museum, we generally just because of the ages of the kids, I mean, our daughter's older now, and the truth is they go to the museums enough that they know their way, like they don't need a map, they know their way around. Mm-hmm. But in a new museum, it can be hard to just say, well, here's the meeting point. Because in a big museum, in a new museum, you know, certainly at the age that our youngest ones are, it could be hard to find their way back to that meeting point. And so I've always kind of liked to find people as opposed to find a place to meet, That's certainly at this age. One of the other ones that I always do when we're at venues that are I mean, really crowded, like Disneyland, Legoland, or like a, a um, you know, county fair or something like that, a state fair, is I always take pictures of the kids when we arrive and that photo is done head mm-hmm. to toe. And that is a way, you know, if, if they get lost, it's it, sometimes it's easier to recognize the child by what they're wearing than what their face is, you know, or how their hair might've been. And, you know, certainly we've got, you know, we all have pictures of our kids, but it, it doesn't necessarily reflect the way that they look on that mm-hmm. day. And I think it's also especially important to do a head to toe because for instance, if your kid's wearing green shoes and orange pants, well, you're going to be able to find that real quickly. And if you're just taking it from the waist up, that might not be captured mm-hmm. in the photo. And this is actually what happened to us when our daughter got separated is when the cops met up with my wife, my wife texted them a picture of our daughter and that cop then texted it out to all the people that were around the area. Mm-hmm. But certainly if you had something that was taken that day, it's going to be a lot easier and they know that they can focus 
on a clothing combination, which I, I would think would be a lot easier to say, okay, I'm looking for, you know, a kid with whatever black hair with, you know, an orange jacket and whatever purple pants or something like that. You know, that's going to be a lot easier than, you know, a Caucasian kid or an African-American kid or something mm -hmm. like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just any little bit of help and in as much as it allows you to just focus on a couple of things that they can remember, I think is going to be um, the most efficient way of, of finding a child. This idea of taking the pictures ahead of time, one of the things we do, and particularly when I'm with somebody else's kids, my, my uh, niece and nephew, for example, we will have a safety meeting. Mm -hmm. Before we go into the museum, mm -hmm. we'll, you know, we'll take a knee, huddle oh, nice. up, yeah, let's yeah. have a safety meeting, and talk about those things. You know, what do we do when we get lost? You know, where are we going to meet? Those sorts of things. And, you know, I'm picking up my tip. Those photos are going to be a key part of that meeting. And that's, I mean, that, that's covering a lot of bases. Good, good. The other thing that we do, because we do a fair amount of international travel, and especially when you're traveling to a country where nobody speaks the language, or if you're traveling with, you know, a toddler who is capable of wandering off on their own, but is not capable of speaking, even if they understood the language, is I, I, I got the kids the last time we were abroad. I got them ID bracelets and, you know, you can just get them on Amazon. And the one that I picked has the Red Cross sign. So at least, you know, if somebody sees this kid by themselves, you would hope that they would see this bracelet with the Red Cross symbol and go, okay, well, there, there's something there that I should look at. And maybe that's a way of figuring things out. And I think it's important because even if, you know, the person who finds your child can't read English and doesn't understand, you know, what you've written in there, it still is a way to identify the child. So I'll put the name in there. Usually it's just first name is fine. And then I put in a phone number and the email address. And I think it's important to do both because you may be in a situation where the person who finds your child doesn't speak English. So even if they pick up the phone and you, if you don't speak the language, if you don't speak their language, then you've got nothing. Right. Uh, so that's one instance. And I think the other thing, too, is by having an email, obviously it's very, very easy. But the other advantage to having email is, again, if you have language issues on either side, you can quickly type something up in like Google Translate, copy that and just throw it into the email, right? And then it could be like, here's where I am. And then, you know, here are directions if you're going to take a cab in the language of the country that I'm in. Just show the cab driver this thing. And, you know, they're at this police station or this is, you know, we're in front of this house or whatever. So I think providing a few different ways and everybody understands the sort of, I think most people understand the, the email conventions, right? Um, and so I think that can be easier sometimes than phone number. I, it's a little, I guess it's a little broad to say that everybody understands email conventions, but I think the point here is to provide as many different ways to get in touch with you mm -hmm. as possible, right? The last thing that we do, and I think a lot of this comes from, again, our experience with our oldest one, is I, when, in certain cases, depending on where we're going, I, I put a tracker on them. And I did a lot of research, and there are a bunch of different trackers out there. Um, the one that I have is a GeoBit. I'll, I'll put links to that in, in the show notes. And what I like about that one is it works both indoors and outdoors. There are some that struggle a little bit more when you're indoor because they work on cell signals, which can be a little bit harder if you're, say, in a mall and there's a lot of concrete or, I don't know, a parking lot, something like that. Um, and that's one that I use also when we go abroad, and they have you know, international roaming, all of them require some level of monthly fee. So you just sort of have to figure out, you know, what makes the most sense for your budget. And I think the geo bit, you can sort of turn it on and off as you need to. So we always use that. And the way that you attach it is fairly childproof. I actually, as an adult, it can be difficult to, to 
take it off their pants. It attaches to the belt loop or to a shoe buckle. Um, and it can be a little bit difficult to remove, which is exactly what you want. You know, you don't want the kid taking it off and futzing around with it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something that, again, it, it's sort of just peace of mind. And we mostly use it, again, internationally, where the kids just aren't capable of communicating, um, you know, sort of what's going on in, in every instance. And also in these really crowded spaces where, you know, it, it can be easy just to sort of get lost in the crowd. We have a, a friend, a parent that, that actually uses a tile to do kind of the same thing. The tile's a little bit different, right? Because the range, it's Bluetooth only. So I think it's whatever, 50 to 300 feet or something mm -hmm. like that. Primarily what he uses it for is when they're at the playground. So he, he uh, I think he puts it on a bracelet or something. And that's the signal. When it, when it vibrates, that's the signal like it's time to go home, right? So he doesn't have to go chasing her around. He's just, oh, okay, dad's calling. I better go find him. So, you know, just kind of a different way of approaching it, but sort of the same um you know, ultimately the same goal, which is to just keep a little bit of tabs. And also with the tile, I think you can set up a geofence. I know you can with the geobit. So with the geobit, you can set up, say, a 100-foot radius. So if mm -hmm. they get 100 feet away from you, it'll, you know, your phone will ring. And so you can, you know, you'll, you'll know that, okay. And so it gives them also a little bit of independence, right? All right, well, it could be 300 feet away. It'll be fine. But mm -hmm. more than 300 feet, not so confident about. So... Um, that was another thing that we we did. Certainly when the kids were, were younger, we stood that a little bit now. We hope this was an informative episode. And if one of these tips helps you, we've done our jobs. If you have any questions for us, hit us up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash papayefatigué. That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T-F-A-T-I-G-U-E. And we'll be sure to put all the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Popeye Fatigue podcast. If you like the podcast, please give us a review and don't forget to subscribe to get ideas and hear discussions around parenting as a dad. Talk to you next time.